Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent, where we explore different areas of the construction industry to shed light on what life is like in companies across the field to help you build your career to your own specification. This episode of the Construction Career Podcast is brought to you by Wilson and Hampton Painting Contractors. Wilson and Hampton has been the premier painting contractor in Southern California since 1923. From concurrent projects at LAX and the historical restoration of the Salk Institute to decorative painting and gold leafing in LDS temples around the world. Whether working in the field or in-house refinishing shop, Wilson and Hampton can provide you with the quality and experience needed to make your next project a success. Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent. This week uh, we're talking with Joe DeFlavio. Uh, Joe is currently working for Hensel Phelps. His age is 24 and his current job title is field engineer. When we asked how long he's been in the industry, he says it's been about five years. Yep. We're going to talk just a little bit, kind of get an idea. We've known Joe for a little while. He's worked on one of the projects that we've been on out at one of the major airports here in Southern California. And uh, I feel he's got a lot of stuff to offer. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You are a Southern California native? I sure am. Yep. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Simi Valley, actually, just north of, I guess, what you would call the major LA area. Right. And did just from the time you were a little kid, did you move there at some point? No, born and raised in Northridge, moved out there, uh, grew up all the way K through 12, graduated high school there. And then that's when my whole family actually just shifted over to Long Beach to be closer to my dad's work. And then that's when I took the time to head over to Boise, Idaho for school. Well, we'll talk about that. Where where did you go to school at Boise? Boise State University. Bronco. That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. The Smurf Turf. That's right. Nothing wrong with that. No. Nope. I've always thought they've had a pretty good team. I've nah. Are they going to have to change that? The Smurf Turf? Yeah. Oh, no. So we kind of we're playing the rule a little bit. We're bending it. So they can't completely redo it, but they we, we can do patchwork. So if we get a new sponsorship or if we have to redo the sponsorship logo because it looks bad, quote, unquote, we can, we're just patching it all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll stay blue as long we'll as we can. We'll stay blue as long as we can, for sure. It'll Eventually look like a checkerboard, but we're keeping that blue. If anybody wants to pay enough, then they can change it out. Exactly. Well, maybe Oregon or someone with a ton of money can just throw it at you. <laughs> but we'll see how that plays out. Um, what did you study at Boise State, Joe? Construction management. Construction management. Yep. So you have a degree in construction management. I sure do. Did you consider the engineer route? Like I, what, why uh, did you decide on construction management? Definitely. So out of school, I mean... Kind of a little bit about my background. My dad was a or is a plumber and works with a mechanical plumbing contractor out here as well. And so when I heard, you know, mechanical contractor, and when I was going into high school, I was really into that building things, seeing how things, the mechanics of everything. So I thought, you know, mechanical engineer, mechanical plumbing contractor makes sense. Just go on the mechanical route. First year of school in that mechanical engineer degree, I realized how much shit I fell myself into. <laughs> so that didn't really work out that great. But then Boise State, I didn't realize that they offered a great construction management program. And honestly, I didn't realize there was a CM program. So I looked into it, got sold immediately. That was more my route. I'm more of a people person and more of a just a do it kind of person. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the long story of how you got where of you are. how I got where I'm at. Is that a BS? That is a BS and, degree. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. it's, yeah. It's it's kind of like that. Does um. Is it a is it a whole program or mm-hmm. is it or is it in the school of engineering or it's within the school of engineering but then we're we're getting to the point to where we're making it like our own we're paving the way for all the other schools with our with our program just because we have so much involvement with our local industry uh, professionals even reaching out to 
some of like the the out-of-state ones and the only thing that we're lacking is like the the big bim technological part but i think we're going to be going through that in the next few years and actually bringing that on and we'll be a complete a full system to where we can get like architecturals and engineers and construction managers in the same room that are going through that college career and actually understand the process of how to work together and the complexity of it was it a four-year degree four-year degree is it did you have to do an internship for the degree yep so it wasn't necessarily required but they did strongly Suggest. suggest it right i mean Especially, we have our own student organization. If you want to be a part of that, I mean, you're you're going to get a job by doing that. I mean, it, it just, one, looks good on your resume, and two, it's really the only way you can get true experience out there. And so... So they have a good internship program. Because mm-hmm. I know the undergraduates at Rice University in their architecture program, they have a very strong internship program right. with a lot of in- relationships with architecture firms. So all the, all the BRCs... They all do internships, mm-hmm. you know, and they do them all over the world. So right, and and without without a program from the school, I can imagine it's much more difficult to get an internship. Fortunately, especially up in Boise, just the local. I mean, as anywhere right now, the industry is kind of booming. So just get an internship or even just you know full time hires. That's we're at a pretty good spot to where you go in and for an interview, as long as you're not you know incompetent, you're you can get a pretty good good job out of it. Well, but. I would say that even if you're incompetent, you got a good chance of getting the job because we've worked with some of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this, some of that's historical incompetence. That's true. <laughs> but, no, I mean, it's, it's great just to have that kind of support and backbone behind a university that will not only get you through the school, but they'll also provide you that opportunity to get ahead, make those relationships with the industry that you're eventually trying to get. Did that program start like two years after you started school? Did, did you go to Boise right off the bat? No, I didn't. So I'm missing that part. I went to um, College of the Canyons in Santa Clarita for my first year, and that was my mechanical engineering. So it was really just the prereqs, but you still had those math courses that I just realized. Like, yeah. <laughs> not, not, not for me. Yeah, no, thank you. So, But then once I did the tour and everything, I mean, the CM program's been at, at Boise for the past 30 years it's founded very well and it's just now starting to begin to get its stronghold and its footing into the actual university as a whole in providing such a, a strong i guess percentage of getting pe- of kids the university is just starting to recognize its worth exactly yeah <laughs> instead of these you know all these little construction kids are just tinkering around you know not doing anything they don't bring any value to the school but well it- i mean we're bringing big companies in from all over the place now how many students were in the program? Um, the whole program. So I, I think of it as two different things. So we have our, our program as a whole. So anybody that is within the construction management program, um, I'd say anywhere from 100 to 150. And then within the actual, within what I call true construction management program, which is the, the construction management association or anything involved with that, which is our student slash scholastic professors program we've maybe capped at like 40 that's one of the biggest advantages that you can go through school you can finish it out just do your own thing if you want if you already have your idea of what you want to do like say if you want you have your own business or you're just going to be you just want to go through the motions if you want to be a part of something bigger and make your time at school worthwhile and actually benefit from it and also contribute to the university 
that's where that 40 people range will come into. Wolfpack. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to explain that at some point. We'll leave people in the dark for a moment. All righty. Um, so did you intern every year you were out there? Uh, I did. The first two years while I was out there, so I, I completed the program in three, so I only had the three internships. But the first two, I actually just took them right back home, right where I had. I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity with my dad's company that he works for. One year in the field, just doing the, the plumber apprenticeship, and then another year in the office. So I, again, I kind of got that both field and office aspect of it. Then the third one was my first true introduction to a general contractor, which was with a general contractor up in Portland, Oregon. So that was really cool just to see a new area. And I got that internship again through the, the university. And that just opened my eyes to, I guess, myself realizing that I don't want to be necessarily, I'm not going to say pigeonholed, but just reduced to one scope. I just, I kind of want to be the jack of all trades, but also competent in that and understand the big picture of it. I kind of like that idea a lot more. Working more for the general side than, mm -hmm. than a single trade or a sub-trade or whatever. Right. Now, I should point out, Joe says he worked for his dad for this company. Well, the company that he worked for is one of the bigger contractors down here in Southern California. So it's not like he's some rinky-dink little operation that he was working <laughs> for. Um, so he had some good experience out in the field with his internship. It does help who you know. But yes. if you wanted to have an internship, as long as you went out to try to get it, you probably could get one every year. Right. Well, the association that he was talking about, yeah. if you've got a group of 40 people, those people are serious, and mm -hmm. they're going to network. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you can only put yourself in the way of so many people, and if you're stuck in a corner, no one's going to notice you. So why not go the extra mile? And you know what? It's a lot of people, and I myself also contribute You know that pride factor where they don't want anybody's help. But honestly, you got to put that – got to swallow that – and just accept it, not even accept it, but just understand that that is really benefiting you. And I, I, it took me a while to, to really comprehend that as well. I didn't want any help, but it definitely doesn't hurt to know somebody well, or at the, least have that networking. The thing to understand, and I try to tell this to everybody, is like no one's going to sell you but you. Right. You know, you've got to take some part in that if you want to move up in any industry. Mm -hmm. It used to be, I'm sure, maybe you could just work hard and eventually you get noticed and, and away you go, but anymore you've got to do that and still lay out some time to like move yourself up in the industry right so nice thing is with a small group like 40 people that are going through there i'm sure there's a lot of loyalty to to, mm -hmm. the, to these guys that are graduating the program they've already been out yeah. they're looking at the interns that are coming out now and and i'm sure that's going to help you well the f the fact that you know someone that gives you a leg up and on, on an entry basis mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you still don't have to work really hard right exactly I mean, it's kind of like, you know, nobody's going to stick their neck out for somebody that's not worth it. Because I, right. I had a friend tell me one time, well, he said, well, you have, you've got made, you know, you had a job already made for you. And it was just, I really resented it because I worked really hard. It was just like, well, that's not why I, that's not why I have the job. Well, it was in fact why I got the job. But had I not worked really hard, mm -hmm. you know, and, and actually earned the respect of the people that already worked there, then... I wouldn't have stayed. <laughs> I, yeah. would, I wouldn't have been allowed to stay. So, right out of school, you know, what was your first job once you graduated? 
Uh, when I graduated, it was with Pencil Phelps, where I am right now. I actually started in the office, still in the same job as I am today. When did you graduate? 2015. So just not very long ago. No, you, not too long ago. You've been at the same spot for the whole time. Yeah. He must have just <laughs> he must have just got the job when we met him. I think probably close. <laughs> it was, you know what? Yeah, right around that same time. Yeah. I will say that it must say something for Boise State because Joe is one of the most confident guys we work for, at the company that he currently works for. That's true. So coming out of school. To, to be that competent for some of these other guys that worked there for a while, you know, there's probably something to be said for the program. Uh, a lot of that's the individual, but there's probably something to be said for the program. Oh, yeah, and I'll, I'll support BSU all the way, especially that CM program. So Now, having gone through the CM program, I mean, you started out kind of looking at the engineering side. Right. There's too much math. Yeah. Right, and I totally <laughs> get that. Trust me, I'm a product of the public education system. I, math is not my strong point in any mm-hmm. For people that are currently looking to get in school or they're in school and kind of debating where they should go, do you feel you've limited yourself by not getting an engineering degree? The reason I say that is a lot of people will say, well, you can always be a PM with an engineering degree, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be an engineer with, with a, a construction CM management degree. Right. I never really thought of it that way just because I knew as soon as I made that decision to go to CM, I knew I wasn't going back. So I know a lot of people have that kind of thought in the back of their head, I'm sure. You know, like, well, if I can't do this, I can always go back to that but with a CM, and I'll pair it with uh, the master's program of the CM. So not even going with the engineering degree, but just with your master's with uh, the CM program. Because there is a program, and I was contemplating about that, going back to school instead of just going to going to work, so to speak. And uh, I don't know, I just never really saw too much benefit into it. I mean, yes, you're gonna get more education, and you're actually, you're actually working with other architectural graduates who are also within that same program, and that's where they actually bring in kind of the design-build aspect, where they have all three sides come in in one program and work together. It's essentially, you're going to school for the same thing that you would learn just with experience. So we give you the fundamentals through that four-year program, I mean, if you want to advance in education a little bit more just to get this a little bit quicker, maybe, I definitely I'd see that. But to kind of end my tangent, I, I, I think just with experience right after those fundamentals are There's probably are not a you, big return investment on the time and money spent and on a master's program thing. and a CM. Right. Yeah. So, How much overlap was there between the CM program and business programs at Boise? You're talking about... So schooling wise, or I mean, yeah, um, did they make class t- wise? Yeah, did they make you take classes out of the business school oh, yeah. business. Yeah, I mean it's just like any other program to where you have to do your prerequisites and your your general ed courses, if you will. As far as the specifics, the only business type classes we took were like biz stat, yeah, macro, just big picture stuff, not really digging into much of the stuff. Business management and theories and stuff like that of how to run operations and stuff we did take, but for the most part, we kind of we kept it on the engineering side. So we still had those math courses, the intro to statics and mechanics and stuff like that. But that was that was pretty much it. They introduced, surprisingly compared to other schools, just the major, the meat of construction. Your construction equipment, your, your scheduling, your estimating. Your so it was really, kind of, it was a very much nuts and bolts construction program mm-hmm. as opposed to a business, instead of having a business perspective. Right. Right. It was more of an actual construction perspective. Oh, totally. Yep. So if you wanted to augment that, you might actually go get an MBA. Yep. And yeah. that would put you, if you were in a big corporation. That would uh, just put you that you, much up, yeah. up above everybody. Yep. So I would say, you know, there's probably a place for people. It, the thing I try to tell people nowadays is, yeah, the degree is an important thing to have. Mm-hmm. You can still make it 
most of the way, right? Just on experience and, and know-how, but you're cutting yourself short because that degree gets you that much further ahead. You're starting so much further ahead. Right, exactly. Why waste all that time trying to work up to the point to where you would just start right out of school? Right. So that's something, I guess, to consider. And as an employer, if someone has a degree, your perspective of them is a notch up over somebody else who's come out of the field. And generally, they can write better and speak better. They're better communicators Mm -hmm. because of college education. Right. (laughs) Generally. (laughs) <laughs> we've had we've had people in this office in the past, you know, very talented. They they ran their own business. They've done other things, but they can't use a computer and they can't type. Mm-hmm. So you know, someone coming out of school for the most part is going to have a knowledge of like kind of those those basic like business fundamentals right. of the things because ultimately it is a business and you're going to have those inter- those relations and re- interactions. So starting off with Hansel Phelps, I mean, just give a rough estimation of like a starting salary. I'm sure it's higher in certain parts of the country than mm-hmm. it is in others. Yeah. Um, you know, what could someone coming out of school, what are they going to look at? I mean, should they think it's like the 30s? Is it going to be in the 50s? Is it going to depend? Like, So it all depends on how you look at it. A lot of people are just looking at the base salary. Uh-huh. Our base salary comparative to others is low or lower. I'm not going to say it's extremely low. I'm, it's, it's still great compared to all the other jobs that you can... Uh, try to find but as a whole package with everything included that you do actually see the, the living subsistence the the health benefits and other things like that it's we're right above there i mean your your total package could be right around like 60 70 okay so it's something they can be looking at and something they need to take into account is mm-hmm. what are the benefits that come with it right exactly. aside from the base salary yep walk us through i mean you're a field engineer you've moved there from office engineer mm-hmm. i think that's the progression this you come out of school you start up as an office engineer you it's move into the field. kind of reversed a little bit they want you to start in the field because a lot of people that that come out of school don't really have that true field experience right they've learned the fundamentals of the office and how that runs for the most part so now it's understanding how the building is actually built so they put them through that kind of stint for however long they needs to be it's usually typically one to two years teach them how to wear a hard hat <laughs> yeah i mean i mean we have our guys wear red hard hats for the first six months just because hey look out this guy's new so um Apparently they just don't like your subs. <laughs> Put them through that. Yeah, but yeah. So you do that, the field stint, and then you go in the office, and then that's where you make your tr- your true progression through your career after you hit that office. Did you start in the field, or did you start? No, in I started in the office. So you're like the the backwards guy. Exactly. But he had previous field experience through the internship programs, and you'd you'd been around the industry your right, entire life. Exactly. Yeah. And it just for whatever reason it just so happened to be that they needed a person in that particular spot at that particular time. So I was just able to, to pick it up and run with it. Well walk us through as a field engineer, you know, what is what's your day like? Do you spend time in the office? Do you spend all your time in the field? What do you what do you do? So I I definitely try to spend all my day, if not the majority of it, in the field. I mean, you're labeled as a field engineer, so you better know what's going on in your area. Yes, there's some paperwork side of things, you know, drafting up RFIs if things come up, or a major component is just knowing where your documentation is, you know, making sure that you have in hand for inspection or even just for your own internal QC to make sure that the work that has been submitted and per the contract documents are going in place correctly. A big part of it is understanding what you're building from paper and then making sure it gets applied out in the field. And I always, I, I'm i kind of bad when it comes to looking into plans. I mean, I guess I'm better than most just because I've had more experience with it, but just looking, especially on like finished details and stuff like that, 
it's hard for me to visualize and truly understand how it gets put together. One, because I've never done it. I mean, this is my first time dealing with finishes in my current area right, right now. But then it's it's just how to take that two-dimensional drawing and make they're, it three-dimensional. They're just a bunch of lines there, Joe. Right. I mean, it's, exactly. it's really hard to visualize how that's going to look finished, yep. which is one of the reasons, that, and I really don't know much about it, but the, the 3D modeling mm -hmm. that's available now yeah. would just be a huge asset where they can almost snap their fingers and create a three-dimensional model of the thing and you can see what it's supposed to look like when it's done because a two-dimensional drawing is just a bunch of lines right exactly that's coming from the guy that i'm always like oh bim this is the way of the future <laughs> that was just, yeah, that's just crap. Uh. you know but yeah I, there's there's a lot of that and i think i know hensel phelps some of the projects i know the project we've been on uh they've got a bim model i was gonna say yeah got. i mean that was my next kind of um lead-in was that within our every project for the most part we do use 3, some sort of 3D coordination if it's not just for MVPs, but we can even do it for finishes. And what we have is what's called lift drawings, which is essentially just you're taking multiple pages from your construction set and blending them together and actually building a component. Like say if it's a roofing system, you're taking your roofing detail mixed in with your parapet detail, mixed in with your framing detail, mixed in with your structural steel detail, and putting it all together either in your own 2D dimension, uh, 2D drawing, or we're, we're actually putting it in SketchUp, either SketchUp or Revit. Doing a model. Doing an actual model of truly understanding, number one, just so that we understand how it's being put together and know what it looks like. But two, to to find those potential conflicts that may arise, especially with anything that has to do with like watertight situations. There's, there's plenty of details and little intricate parts that if they don't match up properly and the detail's not drawn right, that'll lead down the road for, <laughs> you see the for, pictures. for, for failure. What's interesting is it goes back to drawings, all right? Michael Graves, a famous architect, said if you draw, if once you draw it, you it's yours. You own it. Right. So by doing those those lip drawings or those the SketchUp, you're actually putting all those pieces together and creating that understanding for yourself. Mm -hmm. And once you've done that, it, you own it. You know, you know what it's supposed to be. Right. And you can either do it in three dimensions with a mock-up, or you can do it with a drawing that you can understand. Right, exactly. But that's critical in how to do things. We were looking at that drawing today with Lynn, and I looked and looked and looked, and I said, this does not look right to me. So we're going to go look at it in the field tomorrow, because it's like, this doesn't seem like what you're seeing on the drawings. It's like, could they have done it this wrong? Mm -hmm. I must be misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's not... It's not unusual to find that. I mean, we've we've actually caught it a few times on our job as well. Just just because it's so complex and there's just so many moving parts or just applications to it, it's hard to catch every little bit. And the guys that are in the field, they want to do it just like they've been doing it. Mm -hmm. So if it's different, they they'll ignore oh, yeah, they'll, it. Yeah. They'll ignore it. That's not the way yeah, we do that's it. That's not how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> been doing this for 30 years right i know what i'm doing <laughs> i know better than anybody else this yeah. architect doesn't know anything well and i wonder some of that like i've heard a lot about how with architects now you know it used to be that it was one guy had the plans and he did those plans knew them back and forth and mm -hmm. maybe it was a team or whatever but they would work together and now you've got all these major projects and someone might touch a drawing you know you might have a hundred different people that are touching some part of this drawing mm -hmm. and so then when you start simultaneously seeing, yeah right yeah <laughs> exactly like you it's not one single sheet of paper anymore yes the document that everyone can see and everyone can do their stuff and so it doesn't always mash up and and that's the beauty of the 3d modeling is you can see that hey the the electrical and the plumbing 
are in, occupying the same space, and yep. that, that doesn't work. You know, right. <laughs> we don't need to build it that far to realize that. Hey, exactly. there's an issue. We can make a change. Mm-hmm. And with new construction, I can see how that's really valuable. But with when you're re- renovating something, it's like garbage in, garbage out. What you have for as belts, right? Apparently, that's, that's is not very thing. accurate. Mm-hmm. So things are, I mean, I see the RFIs. It's like, well, this is supposed to be here, yep, and it's not. <laughs> I mean, that's just with any type of renovation. You're always going to get those kind of those fun little works. Just like if you're redoing a, or if you're trying to flip a house, you never know what you're going to find until you actually take it apart and start building. Then you just got to go with it. Yep. You know, one <laughs> of the things I think Cliff always says, automation. You'll never see full automation in the field because you've got too many different things that aren't the way they're supposed to be. Right. Yeah, I see the future of construction as better tools all the time, but there's always going to be humans coping with the variables that occur in the field. Oh, yeah, well, there and has to be. Th- yeah, there's, and there's just going to be variables. Yep. Cause I have a friend who builds cars, and you can buy all kinds of things to put on cars. They never fit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. You've got to, like, twist and tweak and do this and do that, and it's going to be the same thing in construction. You know, you start to dig a hole, and there's going to be something down there that you didn't expect. Yep. Maybe a vault, as we've experienced, you know, somebody, some companies experienced in the past. Yeah. Something to look out for. Talking about that, I guess, kids that are coming out of school and they get into a field engineer or an office engineer job, you know, if they get a job at Hansel Phelps or wherever they go, what advice would you give them for, like, how to move up? I mean, what should they really concern themselves with initially? And then if you've, you know, you've always got to sell yourself a little bit. Right. What is going to be the best things they could do to help them move up in the industry? There's a limited I mean, number of spaces. Right. I mean, we understand that. Exactly. I mean, you, you get your you get your boilerplate stuff like, you know, work hard, keep your head down, ask a lot of questions. The ask a lot of questions is actually, frankly, it's, it's surprisingly unheard of to ask a lot of questions. Or at least it's not done enough, in my opinion. A lot of people including myself and I've kind of had to push myself that they're they're afraid or that they just don't want to seem like they're the dumb one. Yeah, to where they want to ask the question. Well, questions. everybody else is faking it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, that's the thing. They're like they're trying to fake it through and at at some points it's fine because it definitely builds you that character and that perseverance to actually dig into the drawings or dig into what you're doing and actually figure it out yourself, but at times where you're just truly out of your element, you have to raise your hand at some point and just, again, it, it comes with that pride, and especially with me, I've done that too, where you just got to swallow it and just ask for questions. That's my biggest thing. And then just be straightforward with, with how you want to be trained because that's another big thing and, and knowing how to train. Every person's different, so every, I guess you want to call it, every supervisor is going to train a little bit differently. If you have any sort of qualms with it or if you're not driving with them, don't be don't think that you're just stuck with that and you have to figure it out, you know, just hey, start start that open communication a little bit. It's your career. Right. Like, don't be afraid to ask for it, a different supervisor or if there's a way you guys can work it out. Yeah, exactly. It's not even like completely moving to a new supervisor. It's just having that channel of communication saying, hey, I know that you're trying, but I've realized that I'm more of a, a B-type personality more than your A-type personality if, if we're just putting terms to it because a supervisor is not going to know unless you say something. So he's just going through the motions making sure that you get the fundamentals and you know that and then he or she will leave you off and just let you do your own thing. And then another big part is train your replacement because the only way for you to move up is obviously for somebody to come back in and take your spot. You can't be irreplaceable. Exactly. So those are the three key things just besides, like I said, the stereotype, work hard, keep your head down. And what I mean by that is just 
worry about your not necessarily worry about your own work but just stay within yourself and don't try to bring people down or point fingers or anything like that just have a good head on your shoulders and just know where you want to be and help everybody out one thing i would say real quick cut in cut, cut cliff off real fast um there's another podcast out there called the construction leading edge podcast and in one of those episodes he's talking to this guy mike moody who owns a big company down in georgia i think it is you know, he's, the one thing he said that's always resonated with me since I heard it, he said, on any project you go into, there's a thousand and one questions that have to be answered. I mean, from the time you start to the time you finish, you have these thousand and one questions to get answered. He said, why would you wait till the end of the project to start asking and answering those questions? Mm-hmm. If you get it done early on, you're going to be that much far ahead, farther ahead, and it's going to go a lot easier. Right. And it's like, that's always resonated with me hey you know you've got to be able to just i don't get this or where is that or, yeah you know talk to your your office engineer joe was our office engineer for a while and they joe i don't know where this is in the plans i can't find any reference of it yeah you know and if you have a good relationship then they can go to help you if the guy's a jerk and doesn't want to help you then maybe you're working for the wrong contractor but yeah you know that's there's just something i would always pinpoint and he said it great in that podcast was that thousand one questions you've got to get them answered you were talking about work working hard do you take work home i don't mean just i mean really take it home i don't really mean just take think it about it no no i know that in the past that i have and i've tried to steer away from that just on my own personal account just for my own i guess what you want to call quality of life i don't like taking it home just because it's it's a tough enough industry as it is very rewarding, yes. It's it's, and I'm passionate about it. But when I start bringing stuff home, that means I don't leave work. You need that time to relax, and I need that kind of space. So unless it's crunch time or something like that, uh, no, I I generally leave it all at at, at the job site. What do you think the average workday is for the Hensel Phelps employee on your project? Obviously, it, it depends on how you manage your time, right? So, ideally. It'd be anywhere, you know, between your 40 to 50 hour week on, again, crunch times because there's a lot of phases on ours and a lot of, essentially a lot of turnovers. So, I mean, you can also spend anywhere from 50 to 60. So it it really depends on the phases of any job and of any workload. So it's kind of tough to generalize in my opinion, but I'd say anywhere between that 40 to 60 hour range. No one is walking in at 8 o'clock in the morning and leaving at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. No. He looks no. at me. He looks at me like that's a problem. <laughs> no, no no, banker's hours over here. Sorry. That's just not part of the construction industry. No, it's not. Now, we talked, one of our other guests, we had Colin Cronin, another guy on earlier. And one of the things that he said is, you know, you've got to work smarter, not harder. Right. It's not necessarily a requirement that you put in 80-hour weeks. Mm-hmm. Some weeks you might have to. Right. But... You know, you want to make that good management of your time. Exactly. That, that you're being productive while you're there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say in your field and in the fields you're going to go into, I mean, do you think you could have family time? I mean, this is something that's important to me because I have kids. I have right. family. You know, yep. so you're looking whether you, you want to have family, whether you want to marry another guy, whatever it is you want to do, like, are you going to be able to make that jive with your career? Yeah. No, I mean, anything... And especially, again, it comes with that communication aspect and under, and really understanding what your company values. As long as you open that up and as well as if you're, like you said, if you work smarter and you get your stuff done, no one's going to give you qualms about it. I mean, what, what can they ask you to do? N- not com- complete your work and then stay later just because? <laughs> no. So, I mean, there's definitely time for that. There's 
in my opinion, there's no excuses unless you do have that kind of specific mindset of where you want to live or where what type of family lifestyle you want to live. There was something you said I was going to touch on, but I can't remember what it was, so it must not have been important. So it must not have been that life-work balance. Uh, no, we didn't touch yeah. on the life-work balance. <laughs> it's so prominent in the industry. Your culture would be one thing to say. We've talked a little bit about this, you know, in the past, and it's interesting to say, you know, Hensel Phelps is this, is a big company. Anyone that knows Hensel Phelps, you guys are in the NR top 40 or maybe mm-hmm. the top five every year for the past few years. It's right. a large company. And it's interesting that we've done work on multiple projects with different teams, and each team tends to have, like, a different culture just on right like that project. Mm-hmm. And yours is one that really jives with us. They seem to be pretty laid back. Right. Some of the other projects, not so much. And you've always got, you know, the oddball guy or girl that, that might be more drama than it's worth as a sub and I'm sure you got subs we're probably one of the subs that causes more problems than not (laughs) but uh, you know so what do you think about the culture I mean is it something that that is it laid back is it really strict as a whole within our southern california district it is one of well the best companies I've ever worked with and even from the outside looking in I mean we're just you you can throw the term laid back in there but I mean we we pride ourselves in our work and the way we do it well but we also pride in ourselves in our lifestyle outside of that you don't have to be this hardcore construction guy to build you can know what you're talking about but also have this amazing lifestyle outside of work and that's that's the point that we drive and it's that quality of life that's that's a term that we are using throughout the southern california district and frankly throughout the the entire company is you have your work, but make sure you have your quality of life, whatever that may be, whether it's wanting to spend more time with family, wanting to, to climb Mount Kilimanjaro or go on international trips or do anything of that nature that you normally, I guess, wouldn't do with any other big company. Just because, I mean, we value what you value. It's all about the people. It's just interesting, I mean, as we play, you know, as a sub, and I'm sure you deal with a lot of different subs in different cultures. You know, we look at Hensel Phelps, and Hensel Phelps is massive operation. I mean, you guys have more, sometimes it seems like you have more people on the job site than you have total subs there. I mean, you just, <laughs> there's, they're a very top-heavy organization from a small company standpoint. Right. You know, looking at you guys from the outside. And then you compare yourselves to people like, we've done some work for W.E. O'Neill, and we've done some work for PCL, and we've done some work for some of these other big, really big contractors as well in their mm-hmm. own right. And just how everybody kind of, the different culture that exists. Right. Although I will tell you, if you want the the apparently the the vacations is you need to work for W. E. O'Neill. I mean, those guys are going on great vacations all the time. That's what I've heard, man. <laughs> I'm like, well, holy crap! I think one of the project manager on the the job we've got going out at the airport, he just went to France and went snowboarding through the Alps. Now, lucky bastard. Those guys probably deserve it for the job that they've had to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't question their their necessity of having something like that for the project that they've been on, but. Uh, it is interesting to see, you know, looking at Hensel Phelps, do you feel ever like you're a, like just one number of these million people that are out there pushing paper? I don't. I, I definitely do not. I mean, and again, it all comes out to what you, you get out what you put in. So obviously, if you're going to have this kind of restricted position and opinion about the company, that's that might return back to you. But, and again, I haven't been on many other, I mean, this is my only job, my first job with <laughs> Hensel Phelps, right? But from what I can tell you, our job alone is you're never singled out. You never feel like you're the only one doing their end of the work. And you're never the one to feel that all they expect from you is work. They expect it from you is just a personality and that you are you have a good quality of life at the same time. I was going to say, and this is going back to the point that I couldn't remember earlier, 
you know, I, I used to own a painting company. And one of the things I learned early on was you don't micromanage the process. You just micromanage the results. So, I, you know, whenever I'm in the field having to train somebody, it's like, look, this is the way I would do it. We're just going to assume you know nothing. Right. And this is the way I would do it. Now, if you've got a better way to do it, as long as you get it done in the same time frame By and you means. get the same quality that I want, I don't give a crap how you do it. Yeah. Just get it done. Mm-hmm. Now, if you take too long or you don't turn over what you should, then, then right. yeah, we've got an issue. Because ultimately, yes, results are the driving factor right. and a decision maker. So that's nice that they're not – you don't feel like they're consistently you know, leaning over your shoulder telling you how to do your job. No, it's, it's actually quite the opposite. I just had this realization. The, my first contact with Hensel Phelps was probably 18 years ago. And I remember going to a project on the East Coast – and when I left that project, my perception of Hansel Phelps was that those guys were putting knives in the back of each other to climb up. I was just like, I was, I was whoa, <laughs> that is not a good place. But I don't witness that now. No. I mean, it was it was like, oh, that, that guy just stabbed that guy in the back. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe you get a buyer in the echelons, you might run into that. <laughs> no, these were these were you know like level. project guys. You know. All right, let's talk a little bit about these kids that are in school. You know, they're going to come out and do anything if they're looking at a job with Hansel Phelps or they're looking at a job with anybody else. Uh, aside from the basics, I mean, you got Excel, you've got some of this basic Windows Office Suite software. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there anything they could look at learning uh, or something they could handle that might give them a leg up when they go to looking for a job? SketchUp is the biggest one because it's free. Right. And I mean, as going back to the other point and driving that home, if you don't understand something, try drawing it. Like Cliff was saying, once you once you get that, you own it. So, and SketchUp is the perfect tool, especially for the generation now. I mean, it's it's amazing just how quick anybody can just pick up the, these programs. Revit and AutoCAD. I mean, that that could be a little bit cumbersome just because there's so much involved, and it's just almost overwhelming, in my opinion, because I'm still going through that. But SketchUp, the the simplicity of it and the simplicity in its ability to make complex drawings is almost mind-boggling. Definitely one of the programs that I would I would try to get into. Bluebeam is another one. There's free versions of that, but not really. But that's another. I mean, that program was built for the industry. Is that what you guys use mostly for plans yeah. and markups so, and whatnot? So that's all of our PDF viewers. It has in built-in tools for marking up, editing, drawing shapes. Obviously, it has that. But then you can also use it for estimating, phasing drawings. You can throw in your own pictures and, and mark it up on top of that. You can do collaborative meetings, which means that, like, so Bluebeam Studio, where you have one document, but then you, you create a studio where multiple people from just from different locations can all over the go world in, can log in and look can at the same log plans. in at the same time, make their comments all at the same time. That's what we use for um, our BIM coordination too. That's just we have our agenda and kind of our our, uh, our floor plans on the same spot. Everybody kind of draws their their comments and their layout, but it's that's a great tool. And there's probably so much so many more capabilities you could do that I can't even think of. It's always developing. Well, so here's a question then that would be beneficial to us. As a large company, I mean, how do you guys make sure everyone has the most current set of drawings? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I'm sure you've got them centered locally on like a, on an FTP site or whatever it is that you do. Yep. But so that everyone knows that, hey, this is this is what's current. Is there a, a way that you guys do that that, that excels? Or? Have you never seen one of their RFIs? <laughs> <laughs> With the list of 70 Hansel Phelps employees? I was going to say, <laughs> you feel like a small fish in a big pond. Apparently he's not on those email lists that we're on. We go out to 700 people like six times a day. 
it all depends on different jobs and this one is just very it's complex and it's unique all on its own every aspect but to keep track of our, our construction documents i mean it could be just like anybody else where they slip sheet you have this bulletin that comes out you slip sheet that page number with the other one fold the other and you just make sure you have reference to the old documents just for whatever reason but you at least have one whether it's paper or even just on file of your most current document. We have a, a pretty cool tool where we've actually hyperlinked our PDF documents and all of our construction documents to where all we have to do is click a button on like say a detail. And it'll take you right to the detail. It'll take you right to the detail. So we've, and that project or this project, it's just, it's required on that. Or I mean, it's it's required to be efficient on it. Right. Other jobs may have may not be able to have that capability. I can't speak for other jobs personally, but the way, the way that the way that I've seen it in the past, it's either slip sheeting just on your basic packet on an FTP site on the on your internet server, or the way that we do it, which is hyperlink and do the same thing, where we just kind of virtually slip sheet everything. Right. So it goes to the most current set. Mm -hmm. We should know how to do that. Well, we can, and some of the software that we have, we use on screen mostly, and mm -hmm. you can hyperlink details and whatnot in there. Problem is, is getting that out to the field. Now, there's software like PlanGrid that you know we tried to use down with the Salk Institute, and it's supposed to have those capabilities. Everyone's got to be on the same page, and it's doable. It's right. just overcoming that hurdle and, and having a guys in the field that could do that. We we and don't have a bunch of these young guys, and it's either you got to have the capacity of your actual tablet or viewer, whatever you have, of the, all the drawings in one spot, or you need that internet connection, which may not always be available per the site In the middle of the building, yeah. Right, exactly. And of course, it's more critical for them than it is for us. Right. Because we're not building it. We're just painting it. Mm -hmm. Just painting it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, do you guys use tablets? I mean, is that your, your preferred mode? Could I wouldn't say necessarily preferred, but it's definitely beneficial. I mean, I'm, I'm still, I call myself an old soul. I always like your... Hard paper. Your good old hard paper, and every so does everybody else, and that's how it's more approachable that way, if you will. But, no, yeah, there's it's definitely a huge benefit to have your iPad, because you're not carrying around 50 rolls of drawings or millions of pages on you trying to figure out which is the most updated. You just have your tablet, you go there, done. And then you also, you know, you can take pictures, you can draw on it, you can open up your Bluebeam session if you want. And sometimes if you have the right type of tablet, shoot, you can throw up 3D models and check it right there in the room while you're looking at it. So it's it all depends on what applications you have and how you use it. For the most part, if someone gets a job with Hensel Phelps or anywhere else, they're gonna teach, you know, the software they tend to use, they're gonna help teach you. Yeah. It's not something you got to come out of school and know how to use Bluebeam, but the more you know, the more you know, it's definitely it's 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 more beneficial for you to actually at least have the the basics. Cliff's over here looking pensive, like he's got something to say. I was just thinking about scheduling. Do you guys have members of of the team that do nothing but schedule? On certain projects, we do. So, is everyone familiar with Primavera then? Yeah, for the most part. Again, it all depends on the project and the owner what they want to use during the, the actual contract. So Primavera, Fast Track, even some other softwares that are still in development that I haven't even heard of. The only people that really touch it, I mean, yes, your field engineers and office engineers look at a schedule. They know what it is. They know the systems, but they don't really know how to punch it, right? They know that it's probably obsolete as soon as it hits the piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, no, as soon as you hit like your project engineer, that's when you start training if you're either gonna be the scheduler, or even just training to be the area superintendent, because at your area superintendent role, you are generating the schedule. So you so. touched on an interesting point that I'd like to bring up. Yep. Um, 
the owner gets to dictate some of the software that you use. It all depends on how the contract's written and how the PMT or the project management team is capable developed or not capable. and capable. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Just like with, and it kind of stems back to how we document and keep track of all of our current documents is like it can also dictate what kind of server you're using i've been on a job previously uh in one of my internships to where they will only use online base they will not print out any documents it's all paperless it's, it's a green build project right right so it's surprising how detailed and specific some of these contracts can be and what our capabilities could be well you look at a government contract and i mean they're gonna it's down to the wire yeah. you know any you get on the back end some of the tech stuff that interests me, and it's like the the amount of protection you have to have for some of that software, mm-hmm. you know, because they don't want their plans out so right. no one can see them. And, exactly, and so it could be headaches and headaches on top of more headaches. Yep. But that I just thought I had never considered the mm-hmm. owner might, you know, they might want to dictate, hey, we're going to use this because I want to be able to do that. Right. You as a team, it better be pretty agile so that you can do what it needs to do, I guess, to keep the owner happy in yep. some senses. Cliff would just tell him to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> but that it, it's interesting that that's yeah. I mean. There's always those instances to where you can, you know, give a little bit of feedback saying, hey, we understand you want to use this, but it's it, it could be done a little bit differently this way. And you show them the benefits or whatever have you. And then sometimes that's just the way it is because it's a hard bid job or it's a um, it's a one of those proposals that needs to be done by the book. You guys do a lot of design build. We do. Yeah. Could you explain maybe to someone that's just starting the program? You know, what does that mean? Uh, it's essentially just getting all the players in the room early on. So typically on your like design bid build job is what it's called. That's your, your normal project delivery method or normal as I air quote it. Typically what you, you would have is you'd have your design team, your engineers come together or your owner reach out to a design firm. They, they design and come up with the concept of the building, what you want. They had to do all the designs, the floor layout architecturally, MEPs come in, they throw everything. They, they complete the package up to a certain degree, whether it's 90%, 100%, whatever it is. Then they throw out the bid, contractors come in, they look at it, they throw their bid on it. For the most part, they don't have much input on the actual design from a constructability standpoint. So they take the drawings, they see what they have, They'll go build it. They put a price on it. Design build kind of eliminates that that time between design, bid, and actual start of construction. They have all the players. They go through the constructability aspects. They go through the architectural means. They go through the engineering all at the same time to kind of fast track that motion of when we hit the ground and run to actually start building. So you might start building. It's like making a movie without a script. <laughs> <laughs> like the Saturday Night Live of, of construction, right? Yeah. So you might start building before the final details are in place. Correct. We could even start building 60% or even 50% drawings. So you, the project you're on now, is that design build? Partial. Partial design build. Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested, uh, granted, I don't know, with the other internships and stuff you've done, if you've been on any other types of projects and what you're what your view is on mm-hmm. one versus the other? I mean, I have been on you know your tradi- your more traditional design bid build, and then obviously with this one, and then the um, just hearing some of the the comparisons between all the other ones. Obviously, with this new development, as as they call it now, um, with a design build, just because it is a newer project delivery method, it's starting to gain speed quick, just because it's 
we're in a time frame and a culture now almost, especially with a lot of these developers and owners that they don't have that time as they used to, to spend the money in design and they just want to get it, right? It, it all comes back to that, that financial stuff. They want to get it done as quickly as possible, but get the same result. Yeah, not many people are going to dilly-dally the way I am on my house because it's costing money every month. <laughs> right? You're paying the mortgage, yeah. and you're not going to move in for another two years. So you're, yeah. like, you know, you're not going to have the drawings done until the end of the year. Yeah. So, no, I, I can understand that. It's just it's interesting you know, for people that are coming into the industry and might not have a ton of ideas. It's good mm-hmm. that they can understand some of this stuff and, yeah. and appreciate that you can talk on that. Looking back, it's been a pleasure to have you. We've had a lot of fun. Uh, we've really enjoyed, like I've said in the past, you know, we've really enjoyed Joe, even though he's young in the industry. That's kind of a shock to me. I didn't know he'd only been in Hensel Phelps for as short a time as he has. Yeah. Because uh, he has been one of the better guys we've worked with over there. If not, probably, honestly, the best one. That, you know, it's a oh, large well, corporation. Now, now you're just egging me on here. I'm saying stop it, but I'm saying keep on coming. <laughs> right. We've told you that before. So, But I would say that, you know, for anyone that Hensel Phelps that listens to this, you could model your career after this guy. <laughs> you know, he makes our life easy as a sub, and that's what we like, and he still gets stuff done. Did you have any other I questions? That is his that. job. I appreciate that. To make the job easy for the subs? Yeah. Would you, would you say no to that? My standpoint, just in general, as long as the work gets done, and in order for the work to get done, you guys have to get it done. So as long as you guys are getting done, good. We're happy. Then you're happy. All right. Anything else you want to touch on, Cliff? No, I forget now, so <laughs> it's just getting late. Let's see. It's just, I think you've covered all the questions. Well, for the most part. We think we've gone through most of them. Yeah. You didn't ask him about books. Do you got any, any books that books. you recommend to someone? Oh, yes. Never been a fan of books. I will admit that early on. Do you rather watch the movie? Yeah, I'd rather watch the movie, totally. But one of the biggest, the first books that I read at Boise State was this simple construction from A to Z book. I forget the author's name, but it literally goes from the alphabet, A to Z, and gives a keyword and explains how that affects the industry or any type of relationship. It could be, uh, for the letter P, patience. It'll dive in on how patience is applied in the construction industry. T for timeliness, how that's applied into it. And then the other really good book, I, I always look at it as you want to read books that benefit you, that truly benefit you. Not necessarily for entertainment or anything. Or, you know, it's good to have knowledge and experience on like a, um, a case study. That way you just have that. But for me, I, I really enjoy this self-benefiting books. Like, like leadership books is, mm-hmm. is a big thing for me. Turn the Ship Around. That was written by a retired Navy submarine general, actually. And it, it goes about how you can turn any team that is... You know, whether they're deemed the lowest of the low based off of their class or whatever have you, and how you can turn them around literally and make them the most efficient and most brutal team that you could possibly think of. And brutal in the terms of of war, like they're ready to go whenever that time comes. But you could apply that anywhere. And it all comes from bottom up instead of top down. So just realizations of that and just reading those type of books, I just, that, that, it pushes me more to kind of learn to gain more knowledge on that and how I could be a better leader in an aspect and have that respect from my peers. Well, it's interesting you touch on the fact that it should start from the bottom. It's really easy to say, well, the head is, you know, we're never going to make changes. This organization is screwed up. You know, I, I can think of a project that we all know that could probably benefit from this book. But uh, the reality is, you know, yeah, you've got to be in control yourself. And if you will make the change, then mm-hmm. uh, we talked about this on the last episode, I think it was, you get what you are. It's this right. idea that, 
if you're honest and if you're you know hardworking and you do all these things, you tend to gravitate towards those kind of people, and they tend to gravitate towards you. Right. Whereas if you're a cheat and you lie and you steal and, and you try to stab everybody in the back, you tend to gravitate to those same kind of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you can be this principled person, whatever your principles are, like it'll help you in your career. Yeah. Maybe that's so. Maybe that's why there was a whole team of them. It is. They you know they pulled together. And yeah. That's where you see. I would say, moving forward, there was something else I was going to touch on. And well, now I I'm going to ask. Okay. So, we were talking about quality of life and doing things besides working. So, what do you do besides work? Well, just became a recent ho- uh, homeowner. So, going from one work site or job site to another job site, I kind of do that. <laughs> but he doesn't take his work home. But I don't take my work home. I just create new ones. But, no, outside of that, I mean, I'm a seasonal outdoor guy. So, wintertime is, like, kind of my favorite season, which is surprising for a SoCal yeah, you live native, here. right? You, I mean, I get do? sunshine 364 days of the year. This year, I mean, I've, I think I've done about 10 trips snowboarding already and i'm planning on doing about 10 more hopefully before the end of the season with this winter storm that's that's a huge thing anything with mountain biking snowboarding shooting same thing i kind of hunting which i'm going to get into uh come to the fall now that i live in long beach kayaking and anything on the water i mean it's it's awesome doing a little kayak session right at sunset even after work it's indescribable because i've never done that before and now i'm just just jonesing on that there wasn't a whole lot of kayaking up in simi valley no 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 (laughs) just a lot of hills on fire almost the water's an amazing place. Yeah. You, they talk about recreation, and that this time to recreation is about recreating yourself. And people historically have always sought out nature to have that opportunity to remove them from their, you know, everyday environment, put them in someplace else where they can reflect back and recreate. You get into water, you're immersed in nature. Right. And it's just it's an amazing space to be. Mm. They get eaten by a shark. Yeah, well. Well, you won't get eaten by catch, one. You'll, just, you'll maybe lose a limb or two. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from the guy that grew up in the desert. But, uh, no, it's uh, that's true. And I think there's a lot to be said. The area's great. Uh, you know, there's a lot of building going on here. So it's definitely a oh, place. Oh, there's a ton of opportunity out here, for sure. People should look if, if they're really interested. It costs more. But the, the wages tend to reflect that some. Yep. Yeah, Joe, we're glad to have you on. We're glad you could come in and, and talk a little bit. Well, I appreciate it. I, I, I feel honored, like I said before, to, to even be a part of this. This is awesome. Well, we'll see if he says that after it all goes out. <laughs> in the meantime, you know, uh, we're glad to have you and, and hope you do well in your career and, you know, you'd be a contact that we can go to. This is one thing I would say. Joe is one of those guys, and, and I talk about this on the blog and some of this, is I feel you can call. I mean, you have to have these these abilities to be able to call your your contractor and maybe have a hard conversation. Like, hey, we missed this entirely. And and some guys might be like, well, good, we'll screw you, or, or some of them will have this mentality of they might screw you. But the fact that you can call and, and have an honest conversation and maybe see if you can't come to some sort of agreement so that you don't lose everything on it, that's that's indispensable in the industry. Yeah. You know, you don't always have that. And so uh, as you look in, as you're out there doing these jobs, you know, try to be that. You can call, and you're not afraid to pick up the phone and make that difficult phone call that you right. can't have. Yep. Everybody likes to call until they get yelled at by Cliff. I was going to say, yeah, there, was a, there was a few times where I, I, I hung up a little shooken, shooken up by, uh, by Cliff here. But uh, it's all in good health. That being said, we're glad everyone can listen to the podcast. And if anyone wants to find you, Joe, or you got a LinkedIn? I, have a, I do have a LinkedIn, uh, just Joe DeFlavio. And then, I mean, if there's anything else, you can either contact Kent or Cliff or just find me on LinkedIn, shoot me an email, or even call me. I think my number's on there. So Then see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, thanks again, Joe, and, and we'll be interested to see how you do in your career. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Joe.